that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Right. Well, good morning, everybody. What? What? That was fun. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, Ben, for doing that. Jonathan, how's your hands? Are they good? <laughs> like, uh, I was talking about. I'm like, how does that transition work? He's like, well, it's kind of the same, but it hurts the hands. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're gonna start doing that on family on on family Sundays. Um, obviously, you heard me talk about why. Um, you know, I think it's it. it it's for us, too, because it's very easy for us to um, come in here and, and, and just listen. And so I just encourage you guys if, if, listen, nobody can hear me, but the band can hear me sing. Rebecca could probably hear me sing, and she now knows how poor I sing. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Just sing. You know, like, like it's, it's a, you ever heard, like, when, like the stadiums when they, when the, the band stop, like, when it's, like, a big concert and it's, like, everybody's singing because it's a band that everybody likes and, and everybody's, like, singing their songs? And it's, like, it's in tune. I, I, don't, I don't know musical terms, but I think that's what it is, right? Like, it sounds right. There's no way all those people are right. Right? Are you with me on this? There's certainly me's in the audience that are throwing out horrible stuff, Right? But somehow, that, that corporate, and I think this is what heaven's going to be like, that the choir of angels, like, together, you drown me out, and I need that. <laughs> no, I'm just like, but we, we offset each other, because there's some people here that, that can sing well. So, anyway, um, so that's kind of the point of this, right? It kind of brings it down. It's just, it's us. It's a community. It's a church. Um, I'm probably going to go a little fast this morning, because I have a lot. It, it's, I always do this, right? We're kicking off Timothy, and so there's a lot of background, lots of history, lots of, lots of pieces and parts, and like, I want to, short of showing you the papyrus we have, like, I want to show you that this is inspired word of God, and that what Paul's writing to Timothy applies to us, and so we read this as, inspired, as God's inspired word, and we're like, okay, well then what, when he says this to Timothy, like, there's some, there's some specifics to Timothy and Ephesus, but, but there's still this overarching, like, God preserved this for us. And so we read it like that, okay? So, um, so hang, hang on, okay? Um, get your Bibles out. I will try to be, um, there might be some scriptures that I say, hey, you don't, you don't need to turn to this, um, just because I'm going to go through them quickly, and, um, but you can write them down. In the if you're in the fancy seats, okay, um, or, or you're the one row behind the last row of fancy seats, there's, we got new cars. I get, we got the QR codes, people. Like, we're, we're now upscaling this thing. Um, but seriously, the bottom of that QR code, so you can take those out. The bottom of that is a prayer request thing. Um, so you can, it's perforated, so you can rip that thing off. And we, what we want to do, the reason why we did that, is because we want to give you the ability to write down your prayer requests as a, as as you're praying during the sermon or during worship or you're sitting there during the time of response and you're thinking about things to pray instead of, instead of having to get up and go bend over and write on a table or whatever, like, here, like, do it. Because we, we want to be praying for you all. Um, we want the prayer team being able to pray for everybody else. Like, we, we want that um, community. And then, and then the other pieces on there, you got a bunch of QR codes. If you don't know how to use a QR code, ask somebody. I promise you, your phone, your phone probably does it. Um, 
But, uh, it, you know, it basically steps down. Like, if you want to connect with us, if you want to serve, join a group, right? Like, all of those things. Um, prayer requ- Oh, sorry. That's the other thing. See, this is why this is going to be a long sermon. Hang on. We'll feed you at the end. Is that okay? Um, I'm sorry. Um, digital prayer. So there's prayers on there, too. Like, uh, you, can, you can take a picture of that, and you can just type in your prayer digitally, like on your phone. That auto, like, and it's all like automated, and so it's kind of cool. And honestly, this is just so that our prayer team can have those. Basically, they they get emailed to us, and so we see them. Um, and so it's just a cool way to do that. Now you can't do it anonymously if you do it digitally. So if you want it anonymous, you're gonna have to write it down, throw it in the offering box, and we'll have a lot of yeah. All right, let me pray. God, we thank you for this morning, and. Uh, God, we want your name to be magnified. We want your son to be worshipped. And we pray, Father, that all of these things that we talk about, that they would be means of that. That what we do here, and what we're thinking, and how we operate, and, and all of those little things, that they would be purely for Christ to be magnified. And we pray that this morning, when we're about that, Pray that you would remove any distraction. Pray that you would guard my words. Allow me to speak words that are faithful. I pray that your word would change our hearts this morning. Shape us and mold us into the image of your son, Christ. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we'll be in First Timothy, but I'm not going to actually read it for a second. Um, all right. Um, so we picked Timothy because, um, like we talked about at the beginning of the year, right? Like this year, we're, we're emphasizing, like, what are biblical relationships? What, what, how does God want us to interact in this world? And, and we, we could think of uh, really no better books or, or letters than, than Paul writing to Timothy. That was an incredible relationship, and we're going to see this uh, this morning as, as we walk through it. Um, um, so... When is this written? Um, I'm sorry, it's going to take me a second to get. I'll get there. Um, Cali. Um, <clears throat> so we get manuscript evidence of First Timothy from Codex Sinaiticus. It's from like 358 AD. So like we have a copy of that. Like that's the that's like the full First Timothy. Um, we can go and read it. Um, about five years after we found that. We, not me, but, you know, people, um, found um, what's called P133. It's a papyrus. I was going to show it to you, but it's got Timothy, uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 313 through 48. And it was from 100 years earlier than that codex. And what's really cool, and this is why this is neat, um, we look at this papyrus number 133 and we compare it to Codex Sinaiticus, and they're the same. There's four variations. The variations, if you guys remember this, if you were around when I went through like authority of the Bible and stuff like that, it's four variations. And on the grading scale of them, uh, they're B's and C's, uh, which means uh, like how much they trust them. D's are like, we have no idea. C's are like, it's questionable. B's are, we're pretty sure. A is like guaranteed, like this is, this is a, a non-issue type of thing, or we, or we know exactly what this was intending to say. Um, none of them have any substance, right? It's like, it's like 
the adjectives are different, or there's no theological significance to those four word variations, okay, of, of all of 1 Timothy. And so it's cool, because it gives us some, some confidence, right? Like, with, when I said that this is the inspired word of God, and you're like, yeah, but how do I know that it's still the inspired word of God? That's how, uh, because we believe that God can preserve it, and we believe that he has, and so, um, and that we can get into a lot more of that, but so, um, so that's what we have. We have uh, church fathers quoting from First uh, Timothy. Um, Ignatius uh, mentions it. Uh, the first like full list of Timothy as like this is part of of um, of Scripture is from the Muratorian fragment. Um, it's basically just a list. It's not. It doesn't give you the substance of what's in it, but it lists off the books. And that was in 170 A.D. Uh, so in 170 A.D. They're, they're reading 1 Timothy as scripture. So here we are, you know, 1,900 years later, and we're reading 1 Timothy as scripture because we have, because it was recognized as authoritative, it was recognized as inspired, okay? So that's kind of, that's the, that's the undergirding foundation as we get into this. And this will become important because here's why. We're going to read stuff in 1 Timothy that's going to be very difficult, okay? And if you haven't read 1 and 2 Timothy, um, I'd encourage you to, it'd probably take you all of like, 20 minutes, um, maybe 30 if you're a super slow reader. Um, but like, sit down in one sitting and read through First and Second Timothy. It's not that long, and and what you'll get out of it is this very clear um, purpose that the teachings of Jesus Christ are preserved. And in the midst of that, we get some really challenging currently churches struggling and, and trying to figure out different. Things, and we'll get to them as we get there. But it's, it's, it's easy for us to go, well, if this is an inspired scripture, then it's just a, a recommendation. It's a dummy's guide to life. But that's not what it is. It's scripture. And so we have to be very careful about what we read. We have to be very careful about how we exegete the scripture and how we uh, apply that into our lives to make sure that we're being faithful to what God, God's purpose is in First Timothy. All right. First Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. This is the only letter Paul writes where he starts out every other, with by the command of God. Every other one is by the will of God, which I think is pretty interesting. And it, it kind of sets the stage for what Paul's about to do, which is basically like, he, he takes a very hard, stern stance on preserving the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so he goes, this, I'm not coming there by the will of God. I'm coming by the command of God. Like, like, you have my authority, Timothy. Like, we are moving because God has called us to do this and to preserve these truths. So, so he sets it right at the very beginning. Um, verse 2. Don't worry, we're not going to keep going this fast. But second, uh, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This is my true child in the faith. So we're going to establish what's their background. How do they know each other? How did that, this come about? And this is important because it's, it's this investment of time. It's this relationship that they have. It's this shared purpose that they have. That, that motivates them, like they're going in the same direction. They are about building God's kingdom, proclaiming the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. All right. So Timothy's story begins in about 45 AD. Okay. And it actually doesn't even begin with him. It begins with his mother and grandmother, which we'll see here in a second. And it's Paul's first missionary journey. And Paul goes through Lystra during his first missionary journey. And, um, and he, he goes and he preaches and, and he leaves. Well, five years later, he goes back on his second missionary journey, so about 50 AD, um, and he goes through Lystra. And uh, if you would, turn over to Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> And we're going to be in verse 1. Acts 16, 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Sorry. Paul wanted Timothy, verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. All right, go, go to 2 Timothy now, chapter 1, verse 5. So this is Paul's second letter to Timothy, okay, but we get, right, it's like the same relationship, obviously, same history, right? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Okay, so you, we got this picture. Paul goes through. There's Lois. I'm not sure which one's the mother. Eunice. Eunice and her husband, her husband, but her husband was a Greek. And then he's off the grid. Like, we don't. We don't know anything else about him. Likely, this is probably why Paul was like, hey, Timothy, why don't you come with me? Like, he, he was probably a father figure in that relationship. Like, like maybe, maybe Timothy's father passed away. Clearly, he wasn't a believer because he's not listed in 2 Timothy, right? Like, you would have thought that if his dad was a believer, he would have listed him off with Lois and Eunice, but he doesn't. And so this is where we conjecture. We go, well, that kind of makes sense. And so Paul's going like, hey, why don't you come with me? which was probably intriguing for Timothy, right? He didn't have a, a dad to show him a train, so he's like, yeah, sure. And so what we'll see is this relationship of, basically, he says, my true, uh, what is it, true child of the faith, uh, my, yeah, my true child in the faith, right? Like, like he, he, this father-son relationship starts to build, okay? Um, now, the good part is, is that there's, there's probably some, um, there's probably some benefit, right? Timothy's We've got a Greek father, so he knows that. Um, he's living in a Greek town. This isn't like a, you know, their, their um, Lystra is not like, uh, it's, it's not a Jewish town, right? It's a Greek town. Um, now, what you'll notice, though, and, and I'll just make a very quick statement about this, like before, before Paul takes him, he circumcises him, okay? This is not a, and this is where we got to understand Scripture, right? Like, this is not a pattern that Paul keeps up with, and even... Um, when this is written in Acts, Luke, it makes a caveat. Like, he did this because of the Greeks. Like, he, he didn't do this because he needed to do this. He did this because of the people. Whatever that context was, whatever that situation was, um, Paul felt like it was necessary for that to happen. In fact, when you go back, and I don't think I took the notes, but you can, um, yeah, actually, uh, so in Galatians 2.3, it's very clear that he doesn't do this in another opportunity and stuff like that. So, anyway, um, 
So this is how their relationship starts off. Um, Paul mentions Timothy in eight of his 13 letters. He writes two letters to him. And in fact, when Paul is in prison, all four of the letters that he, well, three of the four of the letters that he writes while he's in prison, Timothy's a co-author of them. So he says, this is from Paul and Timothy, right? We're writing to you. The only one that he doesn't list from Timothy is the one to the Ephesians, which I think is interesting because Timothy was in Ephesus for a very long time. I think, I didn't read this anywhere, but I think it would make sense that like Timothy probably hand-delivered it to Ephesus and was like, hey, this is from us, right? Like, like I, I, I didn't need to write it because I'm actually going with the letter. Total conjecture. But anyway, so you can see that in the midst of this, Paul and Timothy are partners in the faith. They, are, they have a shared purpose. They're going out to do these different things. And listen, listen to how it's described. And I'm gonna, you don't need to turn to all these. These are going to be fairly quick. But listen to how Paul describes it. So 1 Thessalonians, the, the verses will be on the screen as well. 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. So here's Paul, and he goes, hey, Timothy, I need you to go. Go, go here. Go encourage. Go exhort them. And so he sends Timothy um, Turn over to 1 Corinthians. You don't have to turn over. Habit, sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. 1 Corinthians 16.10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. And then Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Listen, if, like we always talk about Paul going around and, and planning churches. It seems that Timothy was like right there as well, right? And Paul's going, I need you to go here. I need you to go to the Philippian church. I need you to go to the Corinthian church. I need you to go here, right? And he's going and he's taking what, what, what Paul says, like these are the teachings of Jesus Christ, right? These are our ways of life, right? This is, this is what obedience to the faith looks like. I want you to go take that. So I didn't know this, honestly. I gotta be honest. I actually, I, I actually thought, Timothy was like a pastor in Ephesus, but he wasn't. He, he was moving around. He was going all sorts of places. He was basically doing the same thing Paul was doing, planting and encouraging and exhorting the churches. And so this is this beautiful relationship. It's clear, right? 
Paul loves Timothy. That Timothy has proven his worth, that he has done these things in a very um, sacrificial way. And, and Timothy is young, okay? And so there's this father-son relationship in this. And so, so I want to, as we eavesdrop a little bit on this letter, right? Paul to Timothy. He's encouraging Timothy, right? So, so he sent Timothy. Imagine this, right? So he sent Timothy kind of by himself to go exhort and encourage a church. Do you imagine like rolling in and you're like, um, so you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> you should be doing this. That, that's, that's prickly. Like that's, I wouldn't want to do that. How, how do you do that well? How do you do that tactfully? How do you do that gracefully? And so this is the challenge that Timothy had. And he was a young punk. <laughs> you got to imagine that the, the elders, right? And, and we'll, we'll get back to this a little bit, but in Acts 20, right? Like, like the elders of the Ephesian church, like they're like the older gentlemen in the church that seemed to be wise and understood scripture. And, 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 then, Timothy, and then he sends Timothy to go to Ephesus, and stay there and, like, advise the elders on what to do. This is, this is challenging. And so when Paul writes this, he's writing this because he, he's trying to encourage Timothy. He's trying to support him. He's trying to help him understand, help him feel as though Paul is present with him and that he has the authority of Paul's apostleship behind him. That, like, Paul, who was commissioned by Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road, is, is behind, not, not just Paul's behind him, obviously Christ is behind him, right? But, but like, like he's got this support. And so that's the point of what we see here. And so what we see is this shared purpose. And I keep saying this because here's, here's the application. You ready? Um, I, I don't think we all have a shared purpose purpose. I mean, we, we would say we do. I just, I'll just caveat that, right? We say we're united in Christ, right? And our, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and we're united, and, and so we have this, this great relationship. Would you say it's like Paul's and Timothy's with others? Um, I'm convicted by this, because, and, you know, if, if, I've had some time, I've been kind of mulling this about for a while, and, and the, the pastors and I, we were, you know, we were talking about it last year as we were preparing for this. Um, I think we have, like, a certain amount of relational bandwidth. This is, I'm just, this is not scripture. I'm just pontificating here for a second, so bear with me. So, like, we have this certain amount of emotional bandwidth and, and relationships, and um, I think Paul and Timothy are like super deep and thick and they've got this great relationship. I think we live in a time when this is peanut butter spread it out across so many relationships. I mean, in this room right now, we got 100 people or so, I don't know, but like you're not gonna be best friends with 100 people. You're not. And that's not what we're called to do. Um, social media, all these other, right? We drive places, we go places, like we have all of these people that we interact with and it's like, how deep can you possibly get with all of these people that you interact with? And I think that's the challenge for us. And so what we see here between Paul and Timothy is a shared purpose. And I think that's the challenge for us. 
Um, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in or what your hobbies are or what shows you watch if we're about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter. You, you're going to have a different environment, different people, but if we're united in our purpose, that creates a relationship that's totally different. And I, I just, I, I think we've, we all have been brought up in ways that, that didn't really value that. It was like we came to church and we did things and we talked about things and we believed things. We have our individual faiths. But didn't, that, that's just a dot. It doesn't say which way we're going. Right? And if we're, if we're all on, going for a bike ride and we're all going different places, it doesn't really matter. But man, if we're all together, we're, we're definitely taking the road. Right? We're all going in the same direction. There's a united purpose. So I would just, I, I, I throw that out there because I, I think that it, it's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for all of us as we look at these biblical relationships and we go, I want to be united. I want to be in the same purpose as you guys. Like, I, I want us to be feeding off of watching the gospel preached and hearts changed and lives saved. I want to. And it, don't, don't confuse this, right? Like, those of you who know me, right? Like, like, like this isn't, this can't be the only preaching I'm doing, right? Like, I don't get, I don't get like a, a get out of jail free card because I got 45 minutes on the stage and I'm like, oh, there, I preached the gospel. That's not it. Like, we're all in the same boat here, right? Like, this is all us living and breathing and what do we do outside of, outside of, even outside of these walls, what are we doing, right? And what's our purpose? All right. Turn to Romans chapter 15. Verse 5. Listen to what Paul says about that. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. One voice. Not talking about all these other things and distractions and all this stuff and, and, and hobbies and interests, but one purpose, one voice. All right, turn back over to 1 Timothy, verse 3. It says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. All right. You can, you can just hold your finger there in 1 Timothy and go over to Acts 20, if you'd like. <clears throat> so he tells them to remain in Ephesus. Now, there's, there's a lot of scholarly debate about um, the timing of Paul writing 1 Timothy. I think it was about 62 AD. There's, there's um, some, some go down like about a 56 AD, but what's six years between friends, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there's reasons for that. Um, and people try to go, hey, here's, here's a little historical fact. Paul says, when I left you and I went to Macedonia, and I told you to say, just like that, I want you to stay in Ephesus. And so we go back to Acts, and we're like, hey, when did that happen, right? And we try to place it. I don't think it really places well, frankly. Um, so my personal take is that Timothy was written after Acts closes, um, and that Paul had a second imprisonment uh, that we, that's not written about, but I'm happy to take that offline and talk to you guys about that uh, 
I told Melissa, I'm like, I'm getting to the point now where I'm like, when it's this conjecture and history and trying to figure those things out, I'm like, I think I'm consistent, but I'm not exactly sure. Like, I read commentary, and I'm like, yes, totally convinced of that. And I'm like, I don't know if I was convinced of that two years ago in reading something different. But anyway, so, but we're talking open-handed stuff. We're talking about context and the occasion of these things. So in Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 17, the rain is here. I hope your windows are up. <laughs> Sorry, now I just totally distracted you all, right? You're like, 2017. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, this speech, and I'm not going to read, it's very long, but I would recommend you go read it. It's beautiful. Because what Paul's doing, like Paul had established this church in Ephesus, and he's, he's on his uh, third missionary journey, and he stops back through there to see how people how the elders are getting along, and he calls them to them. He doesn't even, like, go into the city. Like, they meet him at the port, basically. And he, and he just, like, he's passionate about it. And so I'd, I'd encourage you to go back and read Acts 20. Um, but then at the end of it, in verse 36, it says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship so this is this is happening this is ephesus this is the church in ephesus these are the elders in ephesus that that paul is interacting with okay and so now we fast forward to first timothy and paul's telling timothy stay in ephesus just like i left you earlier on like you're going to be on your own i want you to stay in ephesus and then we go, well, why? Why does Paul want him to stay in Ephesus? He had elders. He had a church. But it was a fledgling church. And Paul's like, hey, I, we want to make sure that the teachings remain the same. See what we said, um, 1 Timothy 1.3. Charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. That word different doctrine, Paul made it up, which is kind of fun. Um, it, it's, it's Greek and it's teachings. Doctrine is teachings, in, in, for the most part, when you read that in the New Testament. So don't think like stuffy doctrine, tradition. That's not what it is. It's teachings, um, specifically. And so uh, he puts the word hetero on top of that, which is like different. He's like, I'm charging you. And we're going to see this. He's going to say this over and over. He's charging Timothy. Don't let anybody teach anything other than what Christ taught us. This is serious. This is the command. This is important. And we're going to see why. All right. This is why we, it's, it's this specific point why we gather and why we read God's word. Because our desires are to do what Christ called us to do. Our desires are to be obedient to God, right? And so we, we keep going to this, and we look at God's word, and we allow it to convict us and allow it to shape us. And we go, I'm not, not, not living the way God wants me to live. Not, not so that you will be saved, right? That's not the gospel, right? You're, you're saved. You're a child of God, but, but a child of God wants to obey God, right? Like, like that's the point. And so, um, and so what, what they're looking at here is they're going like, hey, we need to make sure 
that these teachings don't change. What's the assumption in that? That they will change. <laughs> this is, Jesus was crucified somewhere around 33 A.D. We're right, this is about 62 A.D., 29 years later, and he's like, don't let them change. Here we are 2,000 years later, right? Don't let them change. This is all of our command. This isn't, this isn't relegated to just everybody or just anybody. Like, this is all of us. Like, we don't want Jesus' teachings to change. And so it's, it's, we're compelled. And, and listen to how, listen to Paul's language, how stern he is. Um, and I'm going to rip through some of these again real quick. You can look at them on the screen. 1 Timothy 1.18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies, prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. How does Paul describe this? Keeping these teachings unchanged is warfare. And we can go, plenty of other scripture that talks about the spiritual warfare that's going on, right? So he's like, I charge you. Like, he's, he's, char he's commanding Timothy here. This isn't soft language. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine or teachings that you have followed. Put them before them, right? So here comes Timothy trepidatiously into the church in Ephesus. Hey, Paul sent me. Um, I need to put some things before you here, right? And Paul's going, bold, I'm charging, you got to do this. This is important. Look at verse 11. Command and teach these things. He goes on to say, let no one despise you for your youth. It's a strong language. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, same word, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that accords with godliness, and he goes on and on. Verse 13, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God, he's talking to Timothy, who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Is there any question as to what Paul wants Timothy to do? It's pretty clear, right? He's writing this. Timothy's reading this letter going, okay, right? But he also has the apostleship of Paul behind him. And so he's like, okay, this is true. And he, and he knows this, right? He's a believer. He's, he's placed his trust in Jesus Christ, not just in Paul, right? He's placed his trust in Christ. And so he's like, I want, I have this shared purpose. I want to make sure that Jesus' teachings are unstained and free from reproach. I'm looking forward to getting to that verse. Verse 3. Actually, sorry. You can skip to verse 4. Um, so what are the different... So he says, don't let them teach any different doctrines. Verse 4. Nor... So this is a list also, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And you go, myths and endless genealogies. So, like, so don't teach anything wrong. 
And don't let them get, dive into myths and genealogies. <laughs> this does not mean if you're looking up where your, where your ancestors were, like that's a bad thing. That's not the point, right? And this is where we got to understand the context, right? What's going on here? It, it's, it's not that. And so we got we to gotta figure out exactly what this is. And there's a lot of different uh, verses, and we'll get to some of these things um, when, when that word myth is used elsewhere in Scripture, it's used about five other times, all by Paul. Uh, King James Version translates it, old wives' fables, okay? Um, silly myths. Uh, let's see. In, in Titus, when he writes this letter to Titus, I didn't say this. If you ever hear of pastoral epistles, that's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, because he's, he's writing them pastorally, right, like to one person, not to a church. Anyway, so in Titus, it's kind of the same thing that we're seeing in Timothy. So when he writes to Titus, he calls it Jewish myths, okay? So you, now we, we're like, okay, man, go, go look at all these different wordings of myths. And then in 2 Peter, I'll read this one. This one's not on the screen, so I'll read it slowly. 2 Peter 1, 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. There's a contrast here. What's the contrast? He's like, I want you to make sure you're teaching good doctrine, sound doctrine, sound teachings, the teachings that Jesus gave you. I don't want them to be filled with myths, Jewish myths, cleverly devised myths. What's a myth? It's a fiction. It's a made-up story. Paul's trying to separate these two. He's like, no, no. In fact, like, I often will not use the word story up here because it's not a story. It's not a myth. Don't think of it as like a fairy tale or a nursery rhyme or anything like that. It's not a legend. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Son of God who came and died for our sins. That's a fact. That happened. It's true. And this is what he's saying. He's like, preserve this truth and don't let people start getting wrapped up in endless genealogies and silly myths. So how do we apply that? Um, this, I will let you navigate what that means as far as fiction. Okay? Maybe think about that a little bit. Um, we watch and see myths all the time, right? When you turn on the TV, everything you watch is a myth. Everything you watch is fiction for the most part, unless you're a documentary kind of guy. Um, or gal. I don't know why I said that, but anyway. Um, right? Like, like it, it's, we spend a lot of time with myths. The question is, is, do you know that it's a myth? I think. Do you know that it's, is it for entertainment purposes, or does it leave you unsettled? Because if it's leaving you unsettled and it's blurring the lines between what is true and what is not true, well, there's a problem. And that's what Paul is concerned about. He's like, let's make sure there's a clear delineation. We know that fiction's not bad in and of itself. We just went through the parable series. What was that? They were all fiction. They were all made-up stories. They were made-up stories to teach a truth. And you can go watch a movie or a TV show, and, and it can have truth in it. But it can also be cleverly devised 
to sway you away and to blur these lines and to confuse what is real truth about Jesus Christ. And so this is what Paul is saying here at the, in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And the endless genealogies, notice what he says the, the, the problem is. They're causing speculation. Listen, we're so far removed. I don't know. Your great-grandparent may have done something amazing. I don't know. All the power to you. That's not what was going on here, okay? This was like probably who was Jesus? What was his genealogy? How do we understand this? What were some other messiahs? Like, let's go through the genealogical records, right? Like, this was a big thing in, in Judaism to maintain genealogy records. And so it was kind of like, but was he really the messiah? Was he really from Mary? Was he really the son of David? Was he from the town of Bethlehem? Right? And you start getting into these things. I mean, you could turn on the Discovery Channel during December and you probably could watch anything that asks those questions as well, right? And these are the speculations. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, what Paul wants Timothy to do is make sure there's a clear dividing line. Here's truth. These are the things that are true. Here's myths. Here's speculation. Here's endless genealogies. Verse 5, the aim of our charge is love. It's love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal of this is not so that Paul is right. He's not saying, make sure your doctrine's right because you, you want to get an A on the test and you want to be right. It's not the point. It's love. What happens to somebody who's blurring these lines? What happens to somebody who who forgets who Christ is, who doesn't believe in Christ. Eternal damnation. It's loving. It's loving to make sure people understand the gospel. It's loving to make sure people understand who Christ is. It's loving to make sure that these lines are very divided and that we know. I'll tell you. Well, I won't tell you. Um, like, this is important for us. And so this is what he's saying. He's like, this is motivated by love. I was going to talk about the chosen because I love the chosen. It's great. But man, I was, we were talking about it in a men's group. And I'm like, man, I don't think my kids know necessarily what's biblical and what's the chosen. I do. But even that starts to get a little blurry. So I just caution you. Read your Bibles. You can, you can watch it. It's good. It's, it's entertaining. But there's a lot of like, was that? <laughs> Did I read that in the Bible? Or did I picture that in my mind? So anyway, I just throw that out there. I'm not, I'm not, there's no rules associated with it. But these are those things that we got to be really careful about. We got to be careful about the inputs that are coming into our brains. And that's what Paul's point is. Let me pray. Father, we...